to tell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, Black Man Smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, sponsored by an abandoned drain pipe in the sewer, the only affordable housing left in Manhattan. That's where we find the cozy home of two of the co-stars of today's Christmas special. So join us on a one-cat open sleigh ride back to 1973 for a Chuck Jones animated sequel to The Cricket in Times Square. This is a very merry cricket. I am disheveled alley cat trying to give directions with my mouth full of uncooperative rodent Mike Westfall. And joining me is an animatronic Santa Claus slowly running out of battery power. It's Michael DiGiovanni. Hey, DJ. Hey, Mike. Uh, tonight I'm sponsored by Yorkshire Puddings. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. Someone had to. <laughs> you, uh, Mike, thanks again for having me back yet again for another romp here a a holiday romp thank you is this the first time we're ever just doing it uh a two-man tag team here i believe so and i figured now would be a good one because if i remember correctly this one was new to you right it was i have to say uh is this this one you had seen before i have and it had been years but it was on my to-do list for a while it's something I remember watching maybe twice before now. Wow. So I guess the best place to start is with the history, the history of a very, of a very, very, very cricket. cricket. Written and directed by Chuck Jones and premiered on ABC on December 14th, 1973. That was a Friday night, so this had an audience. Wow. It's amazing you've already kind of mentioned this with the pedigree that's involved with this special the aforementioned chuck jones the, some voice work done by mel blank yeah and it came out in the era of when all these things were coming like this was it's not like this is 1950 and it's not like it's I, it, it could have been so new that i would it would have been off my radar 73 should have been airing in the late 70s, maybe into the early 80s. I'd never even heard of this. Really? Uh, I looked it up and it ran on Nickelodeon into the 90s even. Oh, wow. So that must have been when I had seen this. But like I said, this is a sequel Chuck Jones wrote and directed to The Cricket in Times Square, which was a book. It was a children's story by George Selden that was published in 1960. And he adapted that book into a TV special first. That aired in April of 73. And then this sequel he made that same year. Now, this itself, the sequel, it is not based on a book. This is just a direct sequel to that cartoon. Yes, this looks like it's a Chuck Jones original. That author did not write a Christmas story, or at least not this Christmas story. You couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't find whether ABC had commissioned a second special or if it was some passion project and Chuck really needed to see these characters story arcs through Christmas. Now, did they ever do any more adventures with these characters or did it end with this Christmas special? They had one more special and it was another holiday special. It was called Yankee Doodle Cricket. A few years after this. So you'll be doing that shortly, I would assume. Eventually, yes. (laughs) Um, And then the author of that book wrote more stories about the characters who are in this. So it became a series. Wow. This is a complete blind spot to me. I had no idea. And like I said, it falls within our generation. Like, yeah. I was born in 1973. 
I'm old. Uh, so <laughs> like all of this, I should have grown up with this one. I'm so surprised when you asked me about it. I was like, I'd never heard of this. And it's Chuck Jones. It's Mel Blanc. What? Yeah. And and it's right in the middle of Chuck Jones doing a whole bunch of book adaptation specials. This is three years after the Phantom Tollbooth. Have you seen the Phantom Tollbooth? No, I have not. Okay, that's based on a book that I love. It was like a Norton Juster um, children's book. And that was a movie. That was a feature length movie. Oh, I guess I'm not as much of a Chuck Jones fan as I thought I was. <laughs> well, this was this was an era where he was not with Warner Brothers anymore. He right. would join up later in the for the second half of the 70s. But here he had his own company and he's doing all of these adaptations of things. Uh, a few years after this, he did one of Ricky Ticky Tavi, which was a Rudyard Kipling story. It was part of the Jungle Book series. That I've heard of. Yes. Okay. So doing a lot of bringing books to life on the TV screen in this first half of the 70s here. Huh. But I'll tell you what, after watching this again, I remembered it being a lot longer. (laughs) I'm glad you said that because I'm sure this was going to come up. A lot of the times when I listen to episodes of this podcast or when I've had the fortunate pleasure to be on it, we tend to talk about the length of it. It's way too long. It's way too short. This felt like the shortest of specials. Like I had to double check that this wasn't 15 minutes or 10 minutes or something. It felt so brief. Yeah. When it got to the end and it was 24 minutes, that was a tight 24 minutes. I was like, wait, that's it. We're done. So I think what happened here is I might've remembered both of these two specials that I had watched as a kid and smashed them together in one in my mind because the story kind of runs together. Hmm. And we'll get to that as because they flash back to it for people who had not seen the cricket in Times Square and had never oh, heard of it. I knew it. I don't want to get ahead of us, but I have a <laughs> no. I have a note about that very thing. Good. Well, let's dive in then. And and if you're listening and you want to watch this for yourself first, you can find it pretty easily. I watched it on the internet archive. I I actually found it on YouTube. Oh wow! Great. Okay. Uh, The Cricket in Times Square is also on the Internet Archive and maybe also on YouTube if you want to watch both back to back. But as it will touch on a little later, you don't have to. They'll explain (laughs) it as quickly as they can. (laughs) But first we open. It's a very stylized pan from snowy winter scene to the glow of the Manhattan skyline as the credits roll. Though from this far out and in this particular style, it looks like Chuck Jones accidentally invented Tetris. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Then we zoom in on the city and the first minute of this special is just a super loud montage of the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. Yeah, this is pure chaos. This reminded me a little bit, you know, those scenes in movies where they show a character kind of almost walking in place and like signs keep showing up beside them. Yes, yes. Like it was that sort of imagery and it almost looks slightly like we're in the red light Christmas district. (laughs) Somewhat. (laughs) A lot of stop signs, a lot of red lights. That's no, you're, you're correct. That's what I thought of too. I have a note there, but it's everyone just yelling at each other. Ah, quit shoving. Ah, shut up. Quit shoving. Quit pushing. Quit stopping on my quit. 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 Stop. So this is going to be one of those Christmas stories. Right. Yeah. The hustle and bustle. They're really kind of establishing how busy, how chaotic, the season is for New Yorkers or just uh, in this case, I guess humans, but like this is really a New York story. It is a New York story, but it sure seems like they're talking about all of us here and fine. They're not wrong in some cases. Uh, the musical score here really adds to the chaos. The music is composed by Dean Elliott. I haven't talked about him on the podcast before, but we've heard his work. Uh, he also did another Chuck Jones Special Raggedy Ann and Andy and the Great Santa Claus Caper. He did music for Saturday Supercade. So we've heard him before. And if you've ever heard, if you if you've ever seen those Dr. Seuss cartoons that Chuck Jones and to Patty Freeling did 
around this same time. That's what it reminded me of. And Dean Elliott also worked on those. Yeah, it, uh, I didn't know the name, but uh, it's got that similar vibe for sure, especially in this like very opening scene where they're showing all the the chaos of the of the busyness of the season. The music and sound is almost discordant. Yes, I also mean loud visually as, as <laughs> right. Chuck Jones is showing his various scenes from big, loud, rainy city. It's raining a few days before Christmas. <laughs> There's an animatronic Santa Claus in a store window that's running out of batteries, and you just see him repeating Merry Christmas, kiddies, over and over. Merry Christmas, kiddies, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, kid. Christmas, kid. Christmas, kid. Very frightening, Santa. Yeah. Uh, not the scariest one I've seen in a window in a special like this. That uh, award goes to the one in Ziggy's gift, that special. But this is a very close second. Oh, yeah. This is like Westworld level Santa here. <laughs> yeah. This is less human-like. So I think that adds to the uh, the uncanny valley of it all. Yeah, totally. Just a very overwhelming minute of sensory overload. And DJ, did you catch at one point, there's a parent hitting their child. I think I saw that. I, the, like the imagery almost looks subliminal in a sense that yeah. it's flashing so quickly and the, the art style changes. And then there's like close-ups, uh, pan outs. Like, yeah. but I think I saw that. I think I saw the, like a mom kind of, uh, uh punishing her kid or something. Yeah. It's. For an opening of a Christmas special, uh, one could go, what have I stepped into here? <laughs> really? Yeah. No, you see it through the reflection of a of a Christmas ornament that we've zoomed in on. Oh, that's right. And you just see that morphed reflection of a kid and he's saying, mommy, I want. And before he can even finish the sentence, you hear a crack and you just see a hand flash across the ornament. Like, <laughs> whoa, Chuck. Okay. You set the mood. <laughs> And we zoom in on a bunch of neon signs that read things like layaway and charge it. Yeah, charge it is the one I I, I recall. I think they flashed <laughs> that a couple times. Uh, yeah, it's all about the over-commercialization, uh, the, the selfishness and greediness of the season, potentially. It, it, it's quite a sequence. Yeah, it's like they cranked Charlie Brown's complaints about the commercialism of Christmas, just cranked it up to 12 not even 11, 12. I looked this up on Letterboxd, actually, and the top review on that page reads simply, realistically, at least one of the signs in Times Square should be advertising Deep Throat. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this is this is definitely a Christmas special after dark. <laughs> that's uh, that's right. what this is feeling like. Yeah, it would fit right in there with the mood they're trying to set, but... Finally, we escape the chaos on the street level and we follow the falling rain down a sewer drain to the subterranean home of Harry the Cat and Tucker Mouse. And these two characters were in the first story. Harry's reading Dickens to set the mood here, but it's not what you think. Merry voices and light-hearted laughter rang out. Christmas was close at hand in all its love and hearty honesty. It was the season of hospitality, merriment, and open-heartedness. He's not reading a Christmas carol. He's reading a chapter from Charles Dickens' first novel, The Pickwick Papers. Yeah, deep, deep cut. Very deep cut by this cat reading a book in the sewer. Uh, they're really setting the tone that the cat is quite sophisticated. He is, and he's got a voice to match. Harry's voice by Les Tremaine. And he's the only other voice actor in this besides Mel Blanc. We mentioned him. Mel Blanc is the voice of Tucker Mouse. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. With all that going on out there. Hmph. Now, for Tucker Mouse, Mel Blanc is barely not doing Bugs Bunny. Yes. For the mouse here. And let me kind of uh, qualify that even more. It's Mel Blanc doing Bugs Bunny later. So do you remember, like, there was... Late like 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Uh, Mel Blanc was still doing uh, Bugs Bunny. I, I recall there was like 
a Halloween special. Mm-hmm. There was a the I think there was the Christmas Carol that they did. Yes, and w- even as a kid, when I remembered watching those ones, the Bugs voice started to sound a little different. Obviously, Mister Blank was getting older at this point, but it it didn't sound exactly the same. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down there a bit? Absolutely. And I have a very similar note that this sounds like later years, Mel Blanc, Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And again, that's when Chuck Jones rejoined Warner Brothers and he brought this new style that he developed in the years when he was an independent contractor making all of these, that he kind of brought that style and even the character of Bugs Bunny and all of the Looney Tunes looked a lot different than they did 30, 40 years ago when he was first drawing them. Yeah, th- th- that's that's quite astute that they, it did change. I mean, I know decades and decades had passed since that kind of original bunch of Looney Tunes started or the Merry Melodies. Right. But I always kind of sensed that. I was like, Bug sounds a little bit different, but it still says it's credited to Mel Blanc. And as soon as I heard the mouse, I'm like, He's not even trying. I mean, he's barely <laughs> affecting any different than bugs here. Must be from the same neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, as for Les Tremaine doing Harry the Cat, we last heard from him on this podcast on that aforementioned Raggedy Ann and Andy Christmas special. Uh, he was the voice of the big bad wolf who becomes a big good wolf. And he uses a very similar voice for Harry, but it's softer and gentler. It's a good voice. He's very calm. Yes. He seems very uh, sophisticated, as I had mentioned. I, 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 it's a, I, I like the voice tone for him. Yes, but you ever get an ad for one of those apps where people with soft voices read you stories to help you fall asleep? <laughs> yes, he would be great at that. that he would be a perfect <laughs> for that job. <laughs> So Harry and Tucker are nestled all snug in their sewer pipe, reading Dickens by their actually nice looking makeshift tree made out of garbage. Yeah, it's a, it's an impressive little craft that they uh, did there. You got some red ribbon tied around. It looks like an umbrella, but just the wires left from it. And it's planted in a coffee can. There's popcorn strings and mistletoe, some Random makeshift ornaments like a comb and someone's lost key. They even made a mouse-shaped angel at the top. Jeez, very industrious uh, animals here. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed. They don't even have thumbs. (laughs) Well, the mouse kind of does. They they drew thumbs on the mouse. Yeah, but that it was a clear paw for the cat. Oh yes, uh, and. As they're reading Dickens, Tucker balks at the line about peace on earth and goodwill to men with all that going on out there. And he asks Harry to read him a different story instead. So Harry starts reading a visit from St. Nicholas. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house. Marvelous opening. Not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Not even a what? Why a mouse, may I to inquire? Why do people always pick on mice not to stir? So he gets right to the point. He thinks all this seasonal literature of joy and peace doesn't match up with what he's observed up on the surface level, that humans seems to get meaner and meaner to each other every year. And that takes us into our first sort of song of this special. Surprise, it's also a musical. Yeah, it's kind of a musical. I was actually surprised at how uh, recognizable a lot of the Christmas carols are in this. Yeah, they uh, especially toward the end, but they they do get to use some recognizable songs. And then Dean Elliott and someone else has uh, written a few of their own. This is just a short bit where Tucker asks, What if humans were more like mice, hmm? Friendly and gentle, basically nice. Or what if humans were more like a cat? Dignified. Noble. More like that. Right on. It's a short one. He also asks why they can't be more like a cat. And eventually he near rhymes wicked with cricket. And that makes them both have a light bulb moment as they remember their friend Chester. Chester. 
Okay, so this is where I have the uh, my note here is like when they go in to this fond memory of their friend Chester the Cricket. I I look at this and I I kind of went this flashback had to have been footage from the previous special. I wanted you to confirm that. Yep. But because it's it's goes on a little bit. It's quite involved. I was like, the animators went to this trouble just to tell the little backstory of how they met him. I'm like, no, they didn't. This is they've <laughs> lifted this from they've lifted this from the previous installment. They absolutely did. So this is exposition to catch up anyone who hasn't seen or read the Cricket in Times Square, which it's very obvious that that's what they're doing with the way Tucker's kind of setting up this flashback. Remember how old Chester got trapped in a picnic basket in Connecticut? <laughs> you remember how it was, Harry? How old Chester got trapped in a picnic basket in Connecticut on account of an almost fatal weakness for liverwurst? And then he was carried here to Times Square subway station. Yeah, it's it's like a previously on, uh, you know, it's <laughs> yes, it's one of those it's... moments for sure. Oh, yeah. So here Chester is their friend who's a cricket accidentally got trapped in a picnic basket in Connecticut, like he said. Then he ended up on a train to New York, was found in the subway by a young newsboy named Mario discovered a talent for playing music by ear and stopped the entirety of Times Square with an impromptu concert. What a story. Uh, and the art style is very different for that scene, too, which is taken directly from that previous sequel. So, yeah, they were only made months apart, but you can kind of tell that it's it's footage that they've already used. Yeah, that's what I think one of the big tells of it as well is that it looks different. It doesn't just look like a flashback to going, remember our friend and showing a cricket dancing for a second and then right. go back to them. It's showing footage that's employing a different art style. So that's where I was like, you've just edited in footage from that previous ed episode, which isn't a bad idea. No. But um, it's almost, it, it felt like a bit of a plug to. You know, check that episode out later, folks. Yes. Yeah, it was teaser length. But the art in that original one, when you see Chester performing in Times Square the first time, it's a touch more realistic than the usual Chuck Jones Looney Tune style. It reminds mm -hmm. me of a less colorful stained glass window. Yeah, the, the, the animation, I feel like, is going to be a continued point of conversation in this because... Oh, yes. Um, there are touches throughout this special where the animation is so different than what I was expecting. Like the design of the mouse and the cat and the cricket is pretty traditional cartoon, yes. right? It's, it's somewhere between Warner brothers and Disney, right? Like yes. the, it's, it's kind of that what you expect, but then there's other flourishes that kind of come out, um, what like for example the aforementioned opening scene or whenever mm -hmm. they kind of show humans it's almost like static art and it's yeah it looks painted almost that's the perfect word for it yeah it might be painted differently than everything else is too now that you mention it uh and for the most part it's it's not animated it's still and you're kind of zooming in and out of it there are a few frames where of the human scenes where they're animated, but there's less color and it's almost sketchier. Like they, they didn't ink it the same as everything else. It still has that sketch pad feel to it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an interesting choice. It certainly is, uh, adds to the atmosphere and it makes it stand out, but it just, it's really different. Yeah. It, it takes you for a ride. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and from there, Tucker and Harry remember that Chester made his way back to Connecticut, as Tucker keeps calling it. Sunny Slope, Connecticut, here we come. Where he spends the winter in a music store in a town called Sunny Slope, which I looked up and it's not a real place. Oh, my God. Thank God. As the token Canadian here, I actually had in my notes, Sunny Slope, is that a real place? Nope. Okay, good. I mean, my job as the guest here is to not do any research. I just ask <laughs> questions and wait for you to answer them. But uh, it sounded bizarre enough that it could have been fictitious, but I was like, 
You never know. Yeah, I I looked it up because I was like, you know, it might exist. Yeah. But it does not. It only exists in the Cricket in Times Square cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) But we get a decent close-up of a map Tucker has that shows us right where Sunny Slope would be in Connecticut. And after comparing it to Google Maps, I found out that this map sucks. <laughs> it's not accurate at all. No, half the town names on it are made up. The other half are just in the wrong places. Okay, so we are clearly in the multiverse then yes. is what we've established. Yes, the Long Island sound is gone, disappeared in this zoom cut. So there's there's Sunny Slope on Tucker's map, which also shows Connecticut is warm and yellow, not like the surrounding states of icy blue New York or brown gunky Massachusetts. <laughs> and they got there pretty fast. They did. So off they go. They go by train. We don't see them actually getting on the train. So I'm not sure if they bought a ticket or they're riding the rails. I assumed they were riding the rails, but these are pretty resourceful Cats and mice. Right. Like, I'm assuming that they're just hopping on and no one's noticing the cat and mouse, Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter. I don't think there's anyone on the train to notice that there's a cat and mouse, because (laughs) when we get to Sunny Slope, nobody else gets off that train (laughs) but this cat and mouse. I don't I'm I'm getting the sense there's not a lot of reason to go to Sunny Slope. I guess not, even though it's the home of the world famous musical cricket, as the sign says when they arrive. <laughs> yeah, he's actually called out in the, 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 the town sign. Yeah, after that first special, he becomes a big hit. And in the actual storybook, it tells you he does more and more concerts and he gets a bigger and bigger audience and then he goes back to Connecticut. So maybe he just summers or winters in sunny slope and probably has a a huge house in Los Angeles that we're unaware of. (laughs) It does say that he summers somewhere else in Connecticut. I forget the town. Uh, Oh, Headley, uh, which is also made up. Jeez. Not allowed to exist in a real town. We don't want to divert any actual tourism to Connecticut. <laughs> but no, they're the only two who get off this train. And now Tucker is in agreement that his map sucks because it's not sunny there at all. No, it's equally dreary and sunny slope. Yeah, never mind that it's nighttime. It's also got a foot of snow everywhere. Frozen slope would be more like it. Who names places anyway like New York? It's old York if it's anything. How about mean York and nasty York? Sunny slope. Yeah, this is this is our first appearance, I guess, when the train kind of rolls up and you see it where you get the nice uh, snowy vistas, which uh, makes the holiday special come into full effect. Yeah, that's it. Up there's snow. It's Christmas now. (laughs) Now it's Christmas. That's right. Uh, You don't see a lot of like other decorations to establish that. So the snow and the tree that they have in that drain pipe is really all you have to go by besides their word for it. And don't forget evil, broken robot Santa. Oh, evil, broken robot Santa. Of course. See, that's what happens when you try and wipe him out of your mind. He comes back. (laughs) So they get off the train. Tucker's presence catches the eye of one of the rattiest looking cartoon alley cats I have ever seen. Oh, my God. Is this the mangiest cat that's ever been in a cartoon? I know. And and I got to say, this has fulfilled a a, a trope, this special already. You cannot have any situation with a cartoon cat and a mouse where the cat isn't pursued by an angry gray bulldog (laughs) and the mouse isn't trying to get eaten by some mangy street cat. Right, yeah, and they both show up here. First, this alley cat. Excuse me, friend, I shouldn't have been talking with my mouth full. Also played by Mel Blanc in a voice... You remember that Looney Tunes short, Birds Anonymous, where Sylvester is trying to quit eating Tweety Bird AA style? Yes. Yes. So there's a cat in there who helps Sylvester kind of quit cold turkey. Uh, and this cat sounds like that cat. 
but he doesn't have a name. In, in the other special, he's apparently named Clarence, but here he's discredited Alley Cat. But it's the same voice or very similar. I knew when I heard that I actually had to try to research because I'm like, he's doing another voice that I've heard of before, but I knew it was a little bit more specific. But it's nice to know that it was Clarence the Sponsor Cat. Yes. Uh, it's not far from Marvin the Martian, but that's that's yeah. what I have in my notes. It's, okay. There's a little hint of Marvin the Martian, yeah. but a, maybe perhaps a, a much more hungrier and sicker <laughs> yes. Marvin the Martian. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so he's now following them. And before you know it, Tucker's gone. He's just not there anymore after Harry looks up at the sign, world's famous musical cricket. And he calls out for his friend, but he's got the whispery voice. So it's just Tucker, 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 Tucker. If someone called my name like that, I wouldn't be able to hear them from across the room. Let alone on the snowy, barren streets of Sunny Slope. Right. Uh, But it doesn't take long, fortunately, for Harry to find out where Tucker has gone as he sees this lanky alley cat just sauntering down the street in the other direction. Mouthful of our little friend with only his tail sticking out. He's trying to bring home dinner for the family, he says, and he can't eat the whole thing right there. That'd be rude. So Harry politely strolls up to this alley cat and asks for directions to the home of the world famous cricket. And this cat tries to answer, but his mouth is full. So we see him take out Tucker and the little guy's just looking insulted with his arms folded. Like, I can't believe you did that. (laughs) And I've never been so insulted in all my life. And I don't know if this is true in the original story, but I like the possibility here that Tucker has just never met another cat in his life. Yeah, I uh, he was I, I kind of thought I'm like, you are a mouse, like a cat is your mortal enemy other than you've got your friend, your best friend is a cat. But yeah, like you live in New York City. I would assume cats are roaming around frequently. Right. Like, why don't you expect this stuff? You get off a train, you look around, you make sure there are no cats. Seems like basic mouse living. Yeah, but I don't know. Tucker is insulted instead of (laughs) scared for his life. Starts shouting in this cat's hands and Harry offers to hold him while the alley cat gives him directions. So Harry puts Tucker into his own mouth and starts walking away while this cat's going on with his directions. And by the time the alley cat realizes his dinner's gone, it's too late. I actually liked how the alley cat kind of when he realizes that the 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 mouse is no longer in his mouth, he's kind of like moving his tongue around his mouth. He has a strange look on his face where he's kind of like digging his tongue around his mouth and to try to find it. It's actually a pretty good, uh, it's Looney Tunes ish. Yes. Um, but Mike, this is the first point where we get our first drop of Yorkshire pudding. Yes. Glad to be service. Now I must hurry on home. We're having roast mouse with Yorkshire pudding tonight. The missus will be expecting it. Me. Uh, but this Yorkshire puddings gets dropped, like referenced here, like I think it's three times by my count. Yeah, I do believe it's three. And I forgot to I hope you wrote them down because I forgot. But now that you mention it, yeah, they they mention Yorkshire pudding several times here. This is the first. This is the first. And then I feel like Chester brings it up the, the following two other times. Yes, he does. Yep. So my question for you, sir is have you ever had a Yorkshire pudding? No, I haven't. You've ne- Now, this may surprise you with a name like Michael Giovanni, but uh, <laughs> I am actually half British. Okay. And so my, my grandmother used to make, when we'd go over to her house, she'd make Yorkshire puddings. Oh, wow. Do you know what they are, though? I'm looking at them now. It's, it's almost looks like a, like a beignet almost. That's exactly it. It's sort of like a baked pudding which is made by like through like eggs flour and water and you you tend to serve it you put gravy on it and we always used to have it with roast beef Ah. so the roast mouse was you know an accurate representation of this they're pretty tasty but you you really don't see them or on menus anymore anymore it's not at least 
here in Canada and the U.S. I don't think Yorkshire puddings are quite prevalent. No, I would have to go to like a specialty tavern or something if I wanted anything remotely British like this. And we have a few down here in Florida just because so many people from overseas holiday over here for half the year or at least for the winter. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So so I may have to go sample me some Yorkshire pudding from one of those places now. They, they're they're pretty tasty. It looks like it. I'm intrigued. So on the to-do list, try Yorkshire pudding. So Harry and Tucker round a corner and they start to hear Chester's music from outside. And we zoom into the window of a local music emporium where our cricket friend lives. He's fiddling away in the middle of a pair of hi-fi headphones. I used to have a pair of headphones like that. I think I did too, actually. Yeah, they have almost a square earpiece instead of the round ones. The round ones, yes, yes, totally. That might have been the first pair I ever remember owning or wearing were the square ones. Okay. I think my parents had a pair of those, and I was just, these are uncomfortable. Yeah, it was like you were piloting a helicopter or something. (laughs) They they seemed almost like military grade. They were not made for comfort. No, they were made for noise cancellation. Don't let yourself hear anything besides the music coming out of this. And after he's done playing, Chester's surprised to hear applause after his song is over, and it jumps for joy to see his old friends clapping in the window. Tucker! Harry! Chester is also voiced by Les Tremaine, but in a more cheerful, higher-pitched voice than I'm yeah. used to hearing from him. But it fits this cricket perfectly. It it, it does. Uh, this th- Does the cricket have almost some mutant heightened ability here that it can hear a song one time and then play it forever or play it excellent? Yeah, it's almost like the the uh, audio equivalent of photographic memory is how they establish it. Not in those words, but it's that like he he listens, he gets it once and then immediately can play it and play it better. It appears as well. Yeah. This is uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, we shouldn't cast out yet that this thing could be a mutant. it's a fun superpower i don't know how helpful it is but well helpful enough that it can stop a whole city and warm people's hearts (laughs) right and he and here's uh yorkshire pudding drop number two he says oh it's just like a christmas present having you here but but why didn't you write and tell me you were coming i could have prepared some liverwurst with yorkshire pudding yorkshire puddings i'm telling you so that's two this thing was sponsored by Yorkshire Pudding. Yes. Stuff, I, I guarantee it. Probably. Uh, but Harry quickly fills Chester in on how things have been going downhill in New York, and they need his help to raise the city spirits again. We don't get a flashback this time. We get sort of a fade out and back in uh, to the end of his spiel because we don't get to hear any of it. People seem to be changing for the worse, and we thought that if you wouldn't mind. So you see, Chester... We need you. Yeah, that was an odd choice. Yeah, especially after we got Chester's whole life story before. (laughs) But Harry starts explaining and we dissolve cut to, so you see, we need you. Blah, 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 blah. So you got to come with us. Yes. All we hear at the end is that the city seems to have forgotten what Christmas is all about. And Chester would be happy to help, but wonders if one little, I believe the word he uses is scrabbly cricket, can really make a difference. And Tucker's quick to be his cheerleader, reminding him that he's the most famous cricket in the world, which no one tell him about Jiminy. Right. (laughs) Besides that other guy. Yeah. No one's better than you. Jiminy is so famous, he's named after a euphemism for the same guy Christmas is named after. (laughs) But never mind. Tucker reminds Chester he made New York stop and listen for once in their lives. He did it before, and he can do it again. And that's our next song cue. We did it before, and we can do it again. And we will do it again. This is like almost a drinking song. Yeah, this is a bit of a randy song, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's a we did it before and we can do it again. It's like a pep rally song. I, I Yeah, I can imagine guys with like beer steins standing on top of tables doing, <laughs> yes. going to this yep. song. Yeah. Uh, well, they kind of like they're kind of stacked on top of each other as they're singing it and then they're marching down the road. First, uh, Tucker asks Harry to purr him a few bars of this song, which he does. And here is where we see Chester listening to it once, which is a nice little effect that they've put in here. They animate a little sound wave rippling up yeah. his antenna. There's almost like a wah, 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 wah. Like <laughs> yep. it's, it, that sound effect is not there, but that's what you can imagine is happening. Yes. And in no time at all, he's fiddling along to them. Just in time to take us to a commercial break. We'll return after these messages. Do you know me? Would you believe I'm Bugs Bunny? I'm also the voice of many other cartoon characters. But in here, they don't care if I'm Daffy Duck. Despicable. So I carry an American Express card, the one card I need for travel and entertaining, for business and pleasure. Well, without this, the only way I'd get any attention is by saying, that's all, folks. To apply for a card, call 800-528-8000. The American Express card. Don't leave home without it. You're watching Nickelodeon. Now back to a very merry cricket. And out of that commercial break, uh, they're still singing as they march down the otherwise empty streets of Sunny Slope. Well, almost empty. Their song is interrupted by a very angry dog barking just behind Harry, sending him <laughs> rocketing up a telephone pole. There's the dog. <laughs> There's the dog. I, I Like I said, the, I mean, it's the must-have plot. You can't have a, a cat and a mouse without a dog and a mangy cat. That's right. So, and just like you described, it's always the same sort of angry gray bulldog. Like the big, musk, big-headed yeah. gray uh, bulldog. Like no neck. No neck. It's yeah, they it's it's always when you need an angry dog that's like out for proverbial blood, it's always that design. Yeah. Uh, this one looks like he's got a collar on a, a few sizes too tight. He's got Harry trapped up on this pole, and Chester tells him to hang in there while he catches up with Tucker. But oop, it looks like the alley cat from before got him again. What a mishap. Oh, what's a cricket to do? He starts playing three blind mice, and the alley cat thinks there are actually three blind mice nearby. Mice? Sorry, three fat mice, he says. That's what malnourishment will do. Oh, yeah. The mind goes first. Sure, you you can hear a music cue, and it, it's like you're seeing an oasis in the desert. Chester sings here, you know, how people are always walking around to their own theme music. Just three fat mice dancing around. No such a dish in your life as three fat, juicy, tasty, spicy, mouth-watering, huge, prime ribby, fantastically tasty mice with Yorkshire pudding. With Yorkshire pudding, and there's our hat trick. There's the Yorkshire hat trick. <laughs> I was born in a hat trick town, raised on the Warrego. Things to lure the cat his way, and it works. We see that hungry cat get a crazy look, and his well, his eyes were already bloodshot, and they look even crazier now. <laughs> and then, if it was possible, right, yeah. <laughs> like chomping on his fingernails like a buzzsaw. So now he's wondering, all right, where are these mice? And Chester starts playing an old timey song called "Down by the Old Mill Stream." A song few humans know by name, but this cat apparently knows it by heart because he's like, oh, down by the old mill stream. I'll go check for the mice there. The cat can't eat, but has great taste in classical music, clearly. Really? It's just, the whole town is just very musically inclined. So Chester was a perfect <laughs> fit. Right. And this cat takes Tucker out of his mouth, scolds him for being just one mouse instead of three, and tosses him aside as the cat goes scrambling, running to the to the old mill. Smell you later, alley cat. 
This, so this alley cat has led us to believe it already earlier a drop that he has a family at home, right? Right. Yeah. Or at least a wife. At least a wife. He is the worst provider. <laughs> yep. If this is any indication, she must be incredibly disappointed with this cat constantly. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hope this isn't this cat's last straw <laughs> right before Christmas. Now, that story, we should follow that in a sequel. Right, that's the story I want. <laughs> I don't care about cranky humans in New York on Christmas Eve. That's just a normal Christmas Eve. We want to know about, uh, you know, the struggling marriages and woes of two alley cats. Really? Hopefully everything will turn out for the best. There's got to be more mice somewhere in Sunny Slope. Certainly no humans, so they should have free reign of the place. Yeah, like what time is this supposed to be? Like two in the morning or something? There is not a human anywhere. No, I think so. We see the sunrise a little later when they get back on the train. So maybe it is that late at night or in the morning, that early in the morning. And again, Tucker's insulted by being called too scrawny to be eaten by this cat. <laughs> How dare you not find me appetizing? So now Tucker and Chester go back to rescue Harry. Remember, Harry's still up on that telephone pole trying to keep away from the big angry dog. And the dog's got like a mouthful of shark's teeth, it looks like. I was going to say he looks kind of almost like a great white shark yeah. a little bit. Color and then these th these teeth. It's insane. They're all different sizes and it looks like he's got a few rows of them like a shark does. <laughs> And Chester lulls the savage beast to sleep with a rendition of Brahms' lullaby. Wow. The old go-to-sleep song. Uh, and this dog's apparently so top-heavy, he falls asleep vertically with his butt in the air. Right. Impressive. <laughs> uh, and a nearly frozen Harry, now with blue fur and icicles hanging from his whiskers, drops from the telephone pole. But as solid and stiff as he looks, he still lands on his feet. Cats always do. Cats always do. Uh, and Tucker tells Harry, Why, Harry, you're gorgeous. In fact, you're beautiful. Hilarious. We cut to the trio walking back to New York, or at least to the next train station, because they apparently missed the last train out of Sunnyslope uh, through some very deep snow now. Because according to Chester... They wouldn't have been able to get a train into the city on time, he says. On time for what? No one knows you're coming. <laughs> and what has the special really laid out what day this is? Like, like the way they're talking is you would assume they're on a timeline because it's Christmas Eve or something. But I don't think that's ever established. No, it's not. I'm guessing it's Christmas Eve morning now because we see it getting lighter and they're walking to the next closest train station to catch an early ride into the city. Right. So maybe now it's Christmas Eve, but the train's about to leave and they're at the top of a snowy hill. Oh no. What could they possibly do to get down there in time? Harry rips a thin piece of bark off a nearby tree and it falls off like wallpaper and they all just hop on it and sled down the hill. They he creates a homemade crazy carpet. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They made a crazy carpet. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I Have you ever I mean, listen, you live in Florida, but you didn't grow up in Florida. You've been around. Were you around snow as a child? Oh, yeah. I grew up in New Jersey, so we've had our share of snow days. I used to work for a radio station that called out the, the school closings. So I would have to. Yeah, there you go. So have you ever tobogganed with a crazy carpet before? I mean, not a brand named trademark crazy carpet but i get the idea i've seen the crazy carpet but we've usually go with like the disc shaped one or a sled yeah or a sled the crazy carpets are you have no control like there is <laughs> no control whatsoever you can't direct yourself you it's it, it is pretty much a a death wish going on those i think the <laughs> only benefit of them is 
They're cheap, they're fast, and they're the easiest thing for a kid to carry back up the hill. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They look like those, they now make the plastic cutting boards. Yeah. These thin things that, that can get a target. Right. And But these just have little handles in the front, and they're just holes cut out that you can hold on to. Hold on to, and then you're sliding down. It's like there, it is the most, the cheapest, easiest toboggan device. But I will tell you, you've got no control on that thing whatsoever. <laughs> it is a death trap. Oh, noted. If I ever see snow again, well, we are, we're surprising the kids. We're, go, we're going up to Philly to see our family this year uh, for a oh, weekend nice. and Christmas. So maybe it'll snow. It might be a little too early for snow then, but here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, and as they slide down, Chester plays a festive rendition of Jingle Bells and Tucker sings about riding in a one cat open sleigh. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one cat open sleigh. Let's be accurate now. Uh, they make it down to the bottom. They hit a curb. Yeah, you're right. It's a death trap. They hit like the bottom of the stairs that perfectly catapults them into the train car as the door closes and they're on their way. That was very fortunate. They were never going to stop that thing. No. They. I, I'm surprised they were even pointed in the right direction. Uh, so this was just a stroke of luck. It was a Christmas miracle, you could say. It was a Christmas miracle, or Harry's a secret physicist. One of the two. <laughs> Let's go with the first one. And this time, it does look like they're sitting at a window seat in the regular old commuter car on the Amtrak. I'm waiting for handsome young Tom Hanks to come in like tickets, please. Right. But- <laughs> Doesn't look like it. Chester plays Winter Wonderland to a very 1970s sort of train music. Yeah, this is where they start uh, releasing in the special. You're getting a lot more familiar Christmas carols start coming across now. Right. Just to remind you that, hey, this is a Christmas special. Remember? (laughs) Right. Uh, very wall of sound train music winter wonderland going on here through some gorgeous scenes of the snowy countryside as we go back into the big gloomy city and down into their home sweet drain pipe where we find the trio asleep now on Christmas Eve. It says it on the clock now. They wrote it on their alarm clock for some reason that at six o'clock it's going to be Christmas Eve. That's your only clock, man. <laughs> you've ruined it for all and now it's only good for once a year right they climb up the drain pipe now and peek out of a sewer grate and we're back into that chaotic soup of neon lights and horns honking oh yeah robot santa's back we could ne- he, he was never really gone that's true <laughs> always lurking in the back of our minds <laughs> So, of course, Chester has his doubts now. How could he possibly quiet all that? But with a plea from Harry to at least try after having come this far, Chester agrees to give it a go on top of a fire hydrant. And we can't even hear him over everything else, the loud cars and the even louder sirens now. Yeah, and Chester can't even hear the, you know either of Tucker or them, like them talking to each other is impossible virtually. Right. Uh, No one notices he's even there. And now some human carrying a package under his arm knocks Chester off the fire hydrant and onto the street level where he gets kicked into the road by an unsuspecting commuter and into the path of an oncoming car. And now it's a chase scene. Right. I knew we were missing something. So now Tucker has to save him from that. And then he gets into the path of the car. And then Harry now has to save them both by scooping them up into his mouth. And they all end up back in the sewer grate with a splash of a nearby puddle. And then they just hang out in Harry's mouth under there. Yeah, that was odd. I mean, he ha- he kept them in his mouth for a bit too long. Yeah, uh, the strange choice of just sitting there comfortably. Maybe it's really comfortable in there. Tucker spent a lot of time in a cat's mouth in this thing. Right. 
and now he's home. He's they're in the drain pipe they live in. Sit anywhere else. <laughs> like spit them out for God's <laughs> sake. And here's where Tucker comments now that it would take a miracle, and miracles just don't seem to happen twice in the same place. But even before he can finish that thought, oh, look, a miracle's happening. A nearby power grid gets overloaded and catches fire and knocks out all the electricity in Times Square. Hooray, it's a power failure. Yes. The mouse is the only one happy that there's a power failure (laughs) and that there's a power grid literally on fire. I don't think they actually see that, but. But yes, I mean, people are going to be working all Christmas day and some may even lose their jobs as a result of this. Yeah, probably. But hooray, there's a power failure. (laughs) Yes. All Tucker sees is the power going out across the city, so he knows what's up. And now's their chance, and they all scramble outside. We see nothing but their silhouettes on a backdrop of a clear blue night sky and the dark cityscape with Chuck Jones's like curvy skyscrapers. It's a nice shot here. Yeah, it really is. Uh, just to a, like it, it's striking as opposed to a few of the other scenes we've seen. It's it changes the mood again. And Tucker sits on Harry's head and conducts Chester, who's standing on Harry's upright tail. In the stillness of the power failure, he begins to play Silent Night. And like it did before in the flashback, the art direction suddenly shifts to that even more realistic side of Chuck Jones. Yeah, the art style is really unique here um incredibly like i go back to saying it looks like not rotoscoping but it's got like this extremely more realistic painted quality to it yes everything's dramatically zoomed in or out on with each scene change you show everyone stopping and looking and more more like they're chiseled almost with a pencil Right. Yeah. It, it it's it's a very very unique art style uh not just for Chuck Jones but I just think for Christmas specials at this time in general. Like I can't recall another one that ha- that looked this way. No, uh it did remind me a little bit a few episodes back I did there was uh an animated adaptation of a Christmas carol from 1971 and it was the one it Alistair Sim came back to voice Scrooge again. Oh, wow. Uh, And that had the style of the original illustrations from the first edition of A Christmas Carol. And they were similarly sketchy like this. But this had a little more color and a little more modern flair to it from Chuck Jones. So it was a nice balance between those two styles. It's almost, uh, dare I say it, there's a little bit of like, it's almost got like a graffiti color to it. Yeah, I can. I would say that. You know, it looks like street artwork, right? Like a, a bit. Yeah, like that's what I think. The splash colors, the colors almost don't look like they're completely staying in the lines. If right. you know what I mean. Yes, uh, and you have those dark contrasts between the shadow and where the light's hitting it too. Right. Uh, it's very well done, but. Chester's rendition of Silent Night moves into It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. clear, Now joined by some young boy's voice. I don't have a credit for that one, unfortunately. But here's where the color slowly starts to come back into the scenes here. First, it was all very monochrome because it's a power failure. But now Chester's music is starting to warm things up and lighten the moon more. And you can literally see the color draining back into the scenery. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, I think it's really well done. This sequence, this uh, this song, like this medley of songs that Chester does and the transformation and of the human population, it's it's done really well. Yeah. And then you see he's playing the colors all back. The sky's all bright. Chester's in the middle of some interspersed scenes like those traffic signs you were talking about earlier. But here it's like 
people watching and listening and even some scenes of just people caring for each other that ends with a mother holding a baby, naturally. You know what this reminded me of is the scene in the Claymation Christmas special set to Joy to the World. Yes. Yeah, it, I, 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 yeah, I can feel that there is some there is some similarities to that for sure. Like right down to zooming out from a colorful stained glass window at the end there. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of the special. That's how they end it. Wow. It is abrupt, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, I actually thought, because like I said, I watched this on YouTube. I was like, oh, I didn't get the end. That, and I was like, they clipped it short. And I actually went and searched elsewhere and no, that was it. No, like, that's that was it. Roll credits at the end. They do zoom out and you see the cityscape again. Right. And just some dotted lights of people holding candles or flashlights on the otherwise dark skyline of New York. And they then the lights sort of make a Christmas tree pattern. All that said, I call shenanigans on the quietness of this power failure. <laughs> what happened to all the cars? Right. Yeah. They're not running on the power grid. If anything, a power <laughs> failure is going to make them louder. Yeah, like you, th- it would have been insane. The... The traffic and the honking and the like the yeah, that is a very good point. So the true Christmas miracle here is that Chester got a quiet moment to start his concert and everybody was able to stop what they were doing and listen. Yeah, there was that. That's exactly what it is. It's like the the New York City was put on pause. Yeah. And and it's just what they needed. And everyone in Times Square's hearts grew three sizes. And that's all we need. And yeah, it's funny. We never go. We never get a final shot with our three heroes. No, no. The last we see them is that silhouette shot. And then it's, you know, the sweeping. Uh, everyone gets the Christmas spirit. Star wipe and we're out. Yep. <laughs> I wish we got a star wipe. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on a very merry cricket, DJ? It's very short. I'd never heard of it before, but you know what? It has a nice little message to it yeah. for all of us to slow down and remember what the season is truly about. Um, I thought the, as we've kind of waxed uh, at length here, is the animation style is so bold and different in places in this that it really sets it apart. It makes it very uh, one of a kind. Yes. And it's got some familiar uh, carols towards the end. I think this thing is, I don't know if I'd make it an annual watch, but you know what? It's, it's pleasant. Yeah. Every few years you go back to revisit it and it's just, Oh, this was good. I'm, I'm glad I watched this again. So it's a nice little treat every so often to revisit. And I hope everyone listening feels the same way. Uh, but thank you for watching this and joining me, Michael. It's always a pleasure to have you on every year. Oh, it's uh, this is a part of the Christmas season for me now. Yes. So I look forward to my invitation next year. Oh, yeah, we we did it before and we will do it again. <laughs> uh, but until then, if people want to carry you home for dinner in their mouths, where can they find you on the Internet? Let me just shudder there for a second with that thought. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at they call me Dejo, or and you can also listen to me on the podcast, the Pop Culture Retrofit Podcast, and the Classic Film Jerks Podcast. Just search uh, all the podcast places, and you'll find me. Yeah. Well, by the time this this is out, is Classic Film Jerks will be uh, wrapping up soon, very soon. We'll be wrapping up around this time. Um, I hate to put a blemish on the Christmas season, but uh, the archive will live on. Oh, good. For people to discover and listen over and over again. Well, congrats on a great run for the classic film jerks. I cannot wait to find out what you're ending with, uh, but I guess we'll all find out together when this drops. All right. And as far as this podcast goes, you can find complete show notes and all of my socials at adventcalendar.house. Next up in a couple of days is another edition of Scrooge Sunday. I hope every creature will tune in. Until then, for Michael Giovanni, from the top of a telephone pole where I'm hanging upside down for dear life and freezing to death, 
This is Mike Westfall reminding you to please watch out for the icy patch and also watch out for musical crickets by your feet. They could be anywhere. (laughs) Good night. And now these messages. Hey, Gen Xers, get the news and podcasts that matter to you on Rediscover the 80s. Each week, hosts Jason and Wyatt deliver two shows that will connect you with the past. First, listen to the 80s weekly newscast with retro pop culture headlines from the world of movies. They are actually trying to reboot The Naked Gun with Liam Neeson. Streaming. Transformers Earth Spark. What did you think, man? It looked interesting, but it looks like it's another spin-off of the Rescue Bots. Collectibles and more. They made Tina Turner into a Barbie. Then listen to Memory Jogger, featuring memories from the 80s and early 90s. We're going to spin the old randomizer tonight. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's spin it. <laughs> Ooh, a big one. Transformers and GoBots. Star Wars. Ooh, we might be here a while. <laughs> Robin Ooh. Williams. What a tribute. Yeah, Robin Williams. Ooh, oh, grandparents. Michael, Michael J. Fox. Fox. PSA commercials. PSA commercials. Ooh, okay. Listen to both shows now on Rediscover the 80s. Search now in popular listening apps or stream from your browser at rediscoverthe80s.com. The 80s Weekly and Memory Jogger. Two shows that will help you rediscover the 80s. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Oh,